As a black woman, it has always been my understanding that women are the spiritual matriarchs of the family. Now, I cannot speak for cultures outside of my own, but in regard to the black community, this has always been my reality. So whenever I find myself stumble upon a young man, a man around my age, that speaks boldly about Christ, it intrigues me, and even more so, excites me. A few months ago, I found myself falling into yet another Instagram rabbit hole. But this time, when I emerged, I had more to show for it than just an hour of wasted time. I had in fact stumbled upon what had always been an anomaly to me. A guy around my age speaking boldly about Christ. But he wasn't just speaking about Christ. He was speaking about topics that this year specifically have been huge dividing lines. And so I wanted to have a conversation with him. I wanted to hear his heart. Where was he coming from? And why? On this episode of Here to Edify, I sit down with Brandon Che to talk about what drives his boldness for Christ, but also what drives his boldness to love both sides well. One of the biggest things that intrigued me um, seeing your content was you being um, just young and being uh, outspoken about Christ. And so from my perspective, I personally don't see a lot of guys in general doing that. Not that I see tons of, of women, but usually just when I, my perspective in the church, I'm seeing a lot of women. I don't see a lot of, you know, guys being outspoken. Um, and so that is always like, it like fills me up to see that. And it's also like, hmm, you know, what is this here? So with all of that, I kind of want to just ask, when did you come to Christ? Have you always been outspoken about your faith? And um, if you have, like, what was kind of like the driving force um, behind that? Yeah, so I would say I came to Christ probably like 14 or 15. I can't remember exactly how old I was. I know somewhere between freshman and sophomore year of high school. Um, yeah, but I was a typical story, like grew up in the church my whole life. Like, yeah, I told you that like my parents met and got married at the same church that I'm still at. Um, but in terms of like Jesus actually mattering in my life, probably like 15. Um, all that being said, though, but in terms of being outspoken about my faith and actually like feeling like I was supposed to say something, I think that was a really big turn because I think um, I think naturally in every person's faith and I just from personal experience, I think at the very beginning, it's Jesus is mine. And that's amazing. Jesus died for me. He's mine. And uh, yeah, I think that's like the first step. And I think it's a necessary step. Right. Um, but I think in terms of like, hey, Jesus is yours, too. That step in my faith probably came in college where the urgency for people to actually get it probably happened like middle towards like the end of college. But all that being said, again, I think it really became heavy to me when I graduated college because I went to a Christian university and then working at a secular agency in entertainment and being dang near the only believer in the building. Um, that's when it really hit me because it, it, I realized these are amazing people 
uh, I used to joke that they loved, they loved me better than my Christian friends did. Um, and I always felt like I was coming to the throne and going with all my friends and coworkers behind me, like, God, you're not going to tell me these are bad people. You can't tell me that. Right. And so that's when the urgency really came up in me. Like, man, not only do I need you to, these people to understand the gospel, I need them to understand what a Christian looks like. Um, and I really felt like a task, like a good one, not a burden, but a task, uh, to really own that. Um, and that had to go into not only how I talked, but ultimately who I was off the camera, off the mic, because that had to stay consistent because if it wasn't nothing I said mattered. And I think if any celebrity or 2020 has showed us, like, that's the truth. If who you are off camera is not consistent, everything you've ever said that is recorded and put out in public is now faulty. It's now dirt. No one cares what you said before, right? Um, for better or for worse, right? With cancel culture in 2020, for better or for worse. Um, but that was like a really long answer to say, I think it was a process. That's what I was trying to say. It was different steps in my faith where maybe I would say like, Jesus died for you and resurrected to save you. And that's still important. I will still preach that every day of my life. Hallelujah and amen. But I really have a passion for going the extra mile of, yes, Jesus died and resurrected to save you. And now here's how that should look practically in everyday life. And all my posture has ever tried to be is because I'm going through the same process as I learn to understand these things and as God is showing me really cool things, I've always been the kid that talks too much. I've always been the kid that was like, mom, dad, come look at this thing I just did. Or this thing happened today. Everyone under on the, under the sun has to hear this story now. Right. And so I think, um, something I told you before was, you know, it's funny to me how God took the kid who talks too much to now talk for him. And so, I had to accept from myself, like, I'm not going to shut up. I tried. I took different stages in my life to be like, Brandon, just be cool. Just sit back and like, let things happen. And I've, and I, to a degree, I think I need to do a better job of that. Um, but I just love helping people get it when they have that light bulb come on and go, that makes sense. I have a bug for that, for people just to say, Hey, that Jesus guy makes sense. I get it. Like, and, and thank you for, for venturing out here with me. Cause I don't think a lot of Christians do. I think they get scared when we get to the edge of the, to the edge of the cliff and we have to take a jump of faith. Like, is Jesus over there? Like, is God over there? Um, and I just have a lot of fun finding him on the other sides of those cliffs and then venturing out with people who are maybe out there, but don't have the light. Right. And that's such a Christian metaphor, but, um, yeah, that was a really long answer to your first question, but that's kind of no, no. It's it's good. Um, take your time. Um, so no, I I think that as you said about you know like talking a lot, it's just it's I find it beautiful when you do hear people. Um, they're able to see this thing that you know someone could demonize as this is horrible, but the Lord is taking this and uses this very thing, um, and I think that just speaks to our personality being something that is intentional. It's not something that I'm saving you now, throw it away type thing. Um, but in light of words and, you know, you talking and you um, being kind of like in these spaces where, you you know, as you mentioned, where you're kind of the only one. Um, when we think of the context of 2020 and cancel culture, uh, there have been a lot of topics that you specifically have broached that um, are, you know, 
tense or, or they're, they have been super dividing lines. Um, and I think what's significant is like they're not just dividing in like the world per se, like they're dividing even in the church. Um, and so specifically, to name a few, like we we have BLM, we have politics, um, and then, of course, the masks because it's 2020 and we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and so my question is, uh, how do you broach those topics um, without falling into the white noise of like arguing about those topics? Because essentially, that's what it just feels like inside the church, outside of the church. That's what we're doing. We're arguing. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think I need to preface with, I don't think I do it that well or perfectly. Um, I just try my best. Um, I think let's just take, let's be specific. Let's take BLM, um, just to get real practical. Um, as someone who has half black cousins, as someone who has black, beautiful human beings that have just influenced my life, both from like afar, whether that be like artists or celebrities that I follow. So everyone knows that I'm a J. Cole stan. And so whether it's like people like that um, or literally people I could name a whole list of of actual friends and family who have made or, or friends just who I consider family who have made impacts in my life. Um, I'm able to and I'm privileged to be able to humanize a lot of these conversations because um, I have black friends who are all over the spectrum of BLM whether that be Christian, non-Christian, rioting is okay, or rioting or looting is a sin, or like that whole spectrum, I have all of them in my phone. And so people like a text are called right now. Um, and so I say that to say, I think the only reason I was able to keep a level head to some degree with all the BLM conversations was humanizing was the first step um, and actually having faces either when I'm talking about things or when I'm in, or when I'm seeing things on TV. So I always say when I see George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery, I literally have friends and family that I see in those thumbnails of those videos and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's the first step is I have, I can, I may, I have the privilege of being able to humanize those situations. But then secondly, really taking that, the Christian term, Imago Dei, image of God, and really putting that into play. And okay, if I see my black brother or sister here, that's like looting is right. Um, it, it's payback. Like we're, we're fighting back for what we didn't have in this country, right? Okay, well, I love you. Even if I disagree with you, I have to start there. I love you first. Okay, now let's sit at the table. Why do you think that? Okay, I'm gonna tell you why I think this. And 90%, 99% of the time, we're not really disagreeing on a lot. And that's what I've noticed. The white noise is the 1% that we're disagreeing on. And you can't define a conversation by that. And so then taking that to like the mass conversation, I'm a very specific situation where my grandparents who are both over 80 spend weekends with us every single week. So staying safe for COVID and wearing masks hit very close to home for me, where we're in a, in a time where we can't even trust data or we can't even trust information coming out of our government. Um, I'm going to veer super safe. Like, I don't care what you think. If there's a small chance my grandparents could get hit with this, I'm way over here wearing masks, staying home, right? For, I'm 25. For my fellow mid-20-year-olds who are living by themselves in LA, and they're like, 
I got to work, bro. Like, I, I can't be out of work. I'm not going to demonize you because you're in a completely different situation than me, right? So now, do I think anyone should be running around not wearing a mask? No. But if someone does, I'll at least humanize you and sit you down. Because something I also told you before was, you know, in all these conversations and in everything of life, I feel like we often say like, why did they do that? They're so stupid. Like, why would you ever do that? And I would argue 100% of the time, if not 99, there's a valid reason. <laughs> like, very rarely do humans do things for no reason, where they're just like, uh, I'ma just do it, right? Like, no guy hits up a girl for no reason, right? Just like no one just wears a mask for no reason. So I think it's being able to understand that everyone has a reason for something. So rather than questioning the human, let me just question your reasoning. And so, and that's very different where a cancel culture tries to cancel an entire person. Let me just try to cancel a way of thinking for you. That's not healthy or that isn't productive. Right. And the only reason that I think, first of all, I enjoy that. I probably enjoy tension more than I should. Um, but, but secondly, I've just had amazing older people in my life walk through that process with me. I am very opinionated. I am overly passionate. Um, and I'm just, I'm a nerd about things that I love. So whether that's theology or um, just humans, so things that like BLM and all this kind of stuff, like that does, I have a passion for that. If it affects people, it affects me. And so I, I want to be helpful in how we talk about these things, but I've only learned from people older than me uh, because I think people our age tend to not do these things well. Um, just if we look generally, right? And it's because I think we always think that we're right. We always, and we hold so tightly to what we think is right that we don't want to know what's actually true. Um, and we have to be able to admit when we're wrong. Have to. We have to start on that ground where if there's a conversation, we're both approaching this saying, hey, I'm pretty sure I'm right, but if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And that's a level of humility that had to get beat into me from friends and family. Like, hey, Brandon, you're often wrong. So just live with that. And that's okay. And they were able to love me in being wrong. And I think that's what Christians don't do well. We don't love people well when they're wrong very often, at least in the American church, right? From my experience. I don't know how it is overseas. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, that would be my long answer again to like, why I'm able to at least have the conversation because I don't even want to say I do it well, but I am down to have the conversation because uh, very often it does diffuse a lot of things just to look someone in the eyes and be like, how was your day? Like before we talk about what's at hand, like how you doing? <laughs> like, what's really going on? You know? Um, but yeah. No, that's good. Uh, so you had, you mentioned um, like that, that it affects you. I think you said like, if it interests you, it affects you. Yeah. Um, and so like another thing that I find interesting is from the outside looking in just someone that doesn't know you, they could easily just be like, you know, you're talking about things that in some aspects, like don't largely affect you, you know, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You've kind of spoke about it, but I'd love to have you go further of like, is this, cause I mean, you're also mentioning how, you know, you kind of enjoy the tension and, and all of these things. Like, have you always um, what has like shaped your desire to just be like educated about the things that you talk about, but then like 
you do do it in a loving way. And then and then I think just like realistically, one of the things I'm realizing in this moment is I'm realizing it more and more. America is just so black white. Like we just there's there's just there's no like there's no gray area you know there is but there's no gray area in the conversation and that is like extremely detrimental that's a whole nother conversation but um in light of all of that and that's again in the church and out of the church you know it's just always black white um and like do you ever feel as an asian american that you are kind of like just not included in the in the in that conversation (laughs) yeah so make sure i don't forget that last question about the America being black or white. I'll answer the first question about being educated. Um, I think it's because as a kid, I used to talk about a bunch of stuff I didn't really know about, but I would pretend like I did, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that one song, dude, definitely heard that. And they'd be like, who wrote it or who sang it? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know anything, you know? Um, but I think, again, when I got to college, I feel like that often happens for people. You get to college and you get outside yourself. Um, and I just realized how many people were just smarter than me, just way smarter than me and knew things much better than I could. Um, and so whether that was music for me, so like, yeah, so like I rap and I make music. And I think a, a huge change I made when I got to college was I studied all my favorite artists and I tried to pick apart what I liked about each of them. And then how do I become like Megatron and like try to put that together, you know, to make, to make my own style, right? And so similarly, um, again, just going back to, I feel like BLM is just a good example because it's so tense. And so with BLM, I love educating myself because one, to find out where I was wrong and two, to find where truth is, because I firmly believe any truth is God's truth. Anything. If it's true, it's God's. It belongs to him and it came from him. Right. And I love God's truth. And so let me go find that. And then when I find the straight line, I can see what a crooked line looks like. But a crooked line doesn't mean it's like a crooked reasoning or a crooked conclusion from someone, right? Doesn't make a crooked person, but that's a different conversation, right? Um, but I enjoy that because, um, again, an example I told you about before was the Gospel Coalition held uh, a conference uh, in memoriam of MLK's, I think, the 50th anniversary of his death, not his birthday, but of his of his assassination. And huge conference was super. Uh, pivotal i think in the mainstream american christian culture um where they actually had black faces talking about black issues um where people like jackie hill perry pastor eric mason like these huge faces trip lee uh but even someone like matt chandler who's as white as it gets from texas and he's one of my favorite pastors but they had and i'm missing a lot of names by the way but they had all these people preaching on diversity in the church and what does that look like and how do we push for that and i think that was 2017 or 2018 and so those are some of my favorite sermons. Jackie Hill Perry is my girl. If I ever get to meet her, like just that's, that's the, that girl. And so I remember in one of her related, in one of like the recommended videos on YouTube, this video came out called Cultural Marxism by Vadi Bacham. I love Vadi or Vodi. I don't know how to say it correctly, but Vadi, Vodi. But he's also become like the poster child for he's the black guy who doesn't like BLM. And he thinks this is cultural Marxism, right? And so, and I knew that before I watched the video. So I watched it and then realized it was part of a conference from Sovereign Nations, which was pretty much the antithesis to the Gospel Coalition conference, where it was, again, optics. I work in PR marketing, so optics. I'm pretty sure all the speakers were white. Maybe one was Hispanic and then another one that was black. But 
all super biblically grounded theologians. So again, we have to start there. These dudes know the Bible way better than I will ever. So I made the conscious decision. There was an entire conference of hour long sermons, several of them. I watched all of them because I said, I already know where I naturally fall. I'm going to fall in agreement with the Eric Masons, the Jackie Hill Perry's, the trip leads. I'm going, I know I'm there and I'm going, my gut is going to disagree with these guys because they're going against everything. So these sermons are called like um, white privilege, the new original sin or cultural Marxism, or they spoke on intersectionality. And so I'm like, this is going to be interesting. And as I watched all of them, I was getting frustrated because I was like, Hey, you're right. Like we shouldn't fall into this Marxism that you're talking about that style of Marxism. You're right. Or you're right. White privilege is not Adam and Eve eating the fruit. You're a hundred percent right. And people shouldn't be demonized just because they're white. So you see like you're right in a lot of things. Or your intersectionality as a black woman doesn't inherently define you by biblical standards. You're 100% right. But what about the people who think the Bible is trash? What about those people? How do you meet them in the middle that says, Jesus loves you, dies for you, and gave you a new identity. But in the view of the world, you might be viewed differently. How do we merge those together? I have a passion for figuring that out. I don't have the answer, (laughs) but I have to hear both sides and live uncomfortably. I had to sit there. I remember I was like working out like in in this room, like listening to one of the sermons. And there was a few times I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Right. Or there were some times I was like, you know what? That's fair. Like that's biblical. Right. And so, but it made me upset that I don't see a lot, if any, Christian conversations meeting in the middle and literally like a content series. I had like pitched as a joke to a friend. I was like, imagine if you took two Christians on any topic, Calvinism, Arminianism, complementarian, egalitarian, BLM, non-BLM, like take any, any conversation, but they had to stay like 10 steps from each other at the beginning. You'd have them start 10 feet apart. And it would say, take a step closer every time you agree with the statement. Okay. God is three in one, one step. Jesus died to resurrect you step. And so you take all these Christian ABCs, right? And you'd probably have them close together, not missing a step. And then you go shake hands. Okay, let's start. Let's start from there. And I think that's the step that we forget, right? Like you and I might disagree on some stuff. You might like your mashed potatoes hitting your peas and I'm gonna be like, what's wrong with you, right? I'm kidding. But like, but we have to start with, You're a human being with valid reasons to how you got to where you are. Let's start there. And I can learn that because I'm probably misinformed about a lot. Now, I know I'm still talking a lot, but to get to issues that don't on the surface feel like it affects me. I work at Biola University and I was talking to a very prominent person at Biola, um, a black person. I won't, again, I won't even say male or female, a black person. Um, and I went up to them and said, Hey, quick question. They already know I'm lit on this, on this issue. And so I was like, do you feel like someone who's non, not black should feel as passionate about black rights as maybe we do if they don't know a black person or they're not. And I mean, know a black person, right? Not on Instagram. I mean, like you, like you could call that person. 
Should they feel the same way? This person said it so wisely. They said, I can't expect it of them to be as passionate about it as maybe we are as black people as because that person was a black person or as someone who knows black people but with the gospel i can't expect for them to at least be engaged in the conversation i said say less because i think that's an unfair expectation we put on a lot of people the white dude from kansas that has never met a black person we're like why don't you care about this because that black person is in a rap music video That's the only black person they know, right? Or they're on the football team or they're the athlete, right? They don't know the black nerd who loves math and wants to go be a math professor. They don't know that black person, right? Or the black person who wants to do politics or the black person who wants to run a flower store. Like they don't even have the concept that black people are human beings. They only know the monolith. So like I said earlier, let's start there. You're trying to drag them to N-M-N-O-P and they're not even at A, right? So, and so answering the question of like, why does this matter to me is I had to realize a lot of my videos, I was at F-G-H because I have black people in my life where I've had the interactions where one of my favorite ones to reference is that at my agency that was majority black, majority female, almost overwhelmingly majority minority um i accidentally touched one of my black female co-workers hair on accident she had just got it done like she had extensions in like it looked good but i brushed my arm against it when i was like scooting past someone right and my and again and i'll keep them anonymous but one of my good friends he looked at me he goes boy you're lucky you didn't get your head blown off just now and i was and i was like why he goes you don't touch a black woman's hair <laughs> and i was like Oh, my bad. Like, I really didn't know, right? But I've had people like, and we laughed it off, but I give that example because I could have got smacked that day, <laughs> like, right? Like, because we were really that close. Like, she could have smacked me if she wanted to. And so that's a funny example. And I have a bunch of non-funny examples, right, that I could give. But I was in an environment where I was able to say, yeah, let's not make those jokes about Asian people, where they were able to say, I had another black coworker say, I don't like grits. And I was like, really? And they were like, why? Because I'm black. And I was like, whoa, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really had to like show like that was a stereotype. I had all black people. I thought y'all all all like grits or y'all all all like greens, right? And you hear, I'm I'm purposely saying you're really ignorant (laughs) because that was the stereotype in my head, right? But I had people lovingly able to say like, nah, that's not it. (laughs) Like, that's just not it. Like, don't roll with that, right? So, and they're not even Christian. <laughs> like That's the punchline. They're not even Christian. So the reason I take, I'm, I'm going to get to your question, I promise. The reason I'm so passionate about it is because if we're going to talk one body, one blood, one Christ, then we got to really be about it. You and I, you're a black woman from the other coast. I'm an Asian boy from over here. You believe in Jesus. We're on the same team. Teams fight, teams argue, but teams also sweat together. They cry together and they go to battle together and you get over the fights. You suck it up for the bigger cause. Not that you don't address it, but there's a time and place for it. Your views on BLM masks, etc., do not define how I view you. 
how I view you informs the conversations. It goes backwards. So the reason I have a passion for it is not black or white, Asian, all that kind of stuff. It's we're one body. And we got to really be about that because if we don't, we're missing a huge chunk of this gospel. And I would argue that if someone doesn't treat someone else that way, not to sound self-righteous, this is why I'm trying to choose the right words, but I would argue if you don't see another human being that way, you miss the gospel. Some part of it, right? And so, yeah. And then last part of the question that, you, that was snuck in there was, do I feel left out sometimes? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> um, I think uh, Asians are probably a very looked over um, culture because we're also very collective. So we're very like, whatever's for the betterment of the group. So sometimes it's easier to shut up, take the jokes to get to where we're trying to be. We don't care about our problems. It's not an issue to us, right? Because me being called, let's say the typical Asian one, me being called a nerd, right? Or me being called soft or called passive, I can still get to where I'm trying to be for my family's sake. If you think I'm a nerd, that doesn't bother me. That's why I think a lot of Asians are able to suck it up and get good grades and have steady careers and all that kind of stuff because, but also have some <laughs> mental health issues, right? <laughs> some emotional issues because, so I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think the reason we get overlooked sometimes is very often we're not the type to be like, we need this fixed now because sometimes getting that, stirring up that attention and stir, and I'm trying to say this, I'm trying to say this. Uh, intentionally stirring up um, needed tension. Sometimes that tension needs to happen, but sometimes stirring that up can slow down what you're trying to do for the family because you're trying to fight for you, right? So it's not a bad thing, but it's Asian culture is very collective. American culture is very individualistic. I'm going to fight for my rights, right? Where I think typically Asians, and I'm only going to speak for Asians, no other minority group, but specifically Asians, we're just not built that way typically. And I'm third generation, which is very rare. You'll very rarely find a third generation Korean in America. They're usually first or second. So I, and so that's why me being so outspoken, I'm even more outspoken than a lot of my other Asian friends. So, but it's because I just find a passion in saying, nah, we're not all passive. Like, I, like nah, I have a voice. But, I have to be loving in how I do it because Asians are not common in this space. So if I don't do it properly, I'm going to be looked at as the crazy Asian, similar to the angry black woman trope, right? It's very similar because it's going to be looked at as why is the Asian dude stepping out of line? So I do have to be very calculated with how I do it, which is why I have to educate myself and all that. So they all kind of works together. Um, but yeah, sometimes I, feel, I do feel looked over, but I also feel like my generation's the one that's saying, nah, like we're not with that. Like not only are we going to, and so again, collectivists, not only are we going to speak up for our issues, you know, where's my black, Hispanic, um, Middle Eastern, like where's my family at? What, do, what are y'all lacking? Okay, cool. Let's go. Like I got you because that's our culture. It's not just for us. It's everyone. Um, so yeah, again, long answers, but. No, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm like, don't stop doing your videos. Like, continue. This is so good. Um, 
Yeah. So you were talking about uh, in the way that you speak, doing it lovingly and all of this stuff like being necessary. Um, Specifically, in one of your more recent videos is actually so far my favorite. Um, You literally open it with um, the fear of God has a tone and the love for people has a tone. Um, I believe I'm quoting that correctly. Yeah. Talk about that tone. Like, what is it and why is it so important? Yeah. Um, do you have siblings? I do. Okay. So I'm the oldest of three boys. Um, we're all about three and a half, four years apart. So, you know, when you're a kid um, and you know the parents are around, you act a little different. <laughs> Posture's a little better. Uh, you're not hitting your sibling right in front of your parents, right? Uh, we're a little too smart for that. I'm going to hit you in the leg where the bruise won't show when mom and dad are upstairs, right? I think you kind of get where I'm going with this. The fear of God is knowing that he is ever present. You will be held accountable. And so I forgot which pastor said this, but he said, all sin will be held accountable either on the cross or by you. You choose because Jesus acts as our advocate, right? Like we're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to go, no, 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 God, I know his sentence. I took it for him or her let him in, let her in. Right. So if I, but that's, but that death sentence by gospel terms, right. That death sentence, I'm living knowing words I say have a weight to it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. Words will eat at you and sit in your head and your heart, right? And live for the rest of your life. So very often you can be completely right about something, but your tone is horrible. This is from someone who people are always really surprised when they hear this. I have a temper issue. I have an anger issue that I've had since I was a kid. So, but very often when my parents would sit me down, they would say, you're not wrong. How you said it was wrong. How you went about it was wrong. And, and, and so when I, when I look at Jesus, let's take him flipping tables in the synagogue because people love talking about that. I made, that. I made a whole video about that. So tone. Well, I can, I, I can flip tables for Jesus. Like Jesus did it. Like Jesus was out here, bro. Like I'm just, I'm doing what Jesus did, right? All right, bro. Jesus also did that a few days before he died. He also did that after three years of telling people he was the son of God. He also preached in the temple for days after flipping tables. So you want to talk about tone? He was angry because he loved these people. That's different. He flipped tables and then went, now let me tell you why I flipped these tables. Because your God deserves better. Because this temple was built for something different, right? So when it comes to the fear of God has a tone, it's a posture. Not only a tone, it's a posture. It's I can come at you crazy if I really wanted to, but I got to talk to my father after this talk. And I want to be able to come to him and say, I spoke to them how I believe you would have. Now... We had to talk about, well, what tone do you think God has? (laughs) That has to be important too, right? And the example I'll use here is Adam and Eve ate the apple, went to go hide, 
and God came in the cool of the day, walking, chilling. He could have been lit. He could have been like, come out, where are you at? We got to talk. He went, why'd you put clothes on? That's a tone. So what I'm saying is, if we're going to talk about 10 subjects and we want to act grown, then we got to act grown. The Bible says the tongue is so hard to tame, so we have to treat it accordingly. If we can just talk like, my truth is my truth, don't take my truth, I'm talking, I believe this. You don't know how scary God is. You really don't know. God is huge, right? And so when it comes to that, it's not that we, it's not that we live terrified. Fear of God is just being aware of who's in the room with you, who's listening, who's watching. But now, not only because you know, you're going to get a spanking or something like that, it's because you've been loved better than that. You've been loved too well to love someone else that poorly. So if you're loving poorly, you don't understand how well you've been loved, right? So yeah, I think that's my full answer to that question. I, I learned something literally. I know I've only talked to you twice. But I just like learned so much. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Um, yeah, so what is your underlying goal? Like every time you sit in front of the camera or you know you sit in front of the mic uh what what is it that you're hoping that comes off of you that people receive man i i i reacted that way because this is going to come off so basic christian but i really really do mean this for the glory of god to be known i don't need anyone to remember brandon's name i don't i i don't care right the insecure, unhealthy Brandon cares, but that's, that's on me. What my heart of hearts wants people to understand is for the believer, it's look how good God is, that his truth is there too. You went to the edge of the, edge of the universe of this BLM universe or this COVID-19 mask, should we worship in church or not, edge of the universe, and he was there. So that's for the believer. For the non-believer, Jesus is for you too. I am passionate about all these things. I da 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 da. I love all these things. This is me. I can't be a Christian. No, that's not true. So I I kind of put it like you know when you go to like a fun house and there's the crazy mirrors. For both the believer and the unbeliever, I just want to straighten that mirror for who God is for them. You have a diffracted image of who God is. Let me just try to flatten that mirror out for you. So you're getting an accurate depiction. So now you decide if you like it or not. So when someone's getting really angry at God, I'm like, okay, well, what image of God do you have? Because if it's wrong, I'm probably mad at him too. <laughs> I'm not with him either. So let me get your Jesus right for both the believer and the non-believer, right? And so where I get that from is, um, people feel a way about David Platt. There's a whole spectrum of people, how they feel about him, which is wild to me. Um, but I love him, met him in March, right before lockdown. Um, and he gave this whole sermon at Biola. I can link it to you. It's literally on our YouTube where he talks about, I wrote it down, but he basically, he was giving the argument that God is for the glory of God. Therefore we, as his people should be for the glory of God. The Bible tells us how to do it. 
And it says our mission is to love others and love him for the glory of God. So do so. That's the call. That's it. God is for God's glory. God saved us from God for God for us. That's the gospel. So in a video, I said, we don't fight for justice for justice's sake. DM. Brandon, why can't we do that? Like why, if justice is a good thing, why can't we just fight for that? Because God isn't just, just for just sake. God is just because he's holy. And so to glorify his holiness, we should be just. So we fight for justice for God's glory. We talk about, uh, we navigate BLM. We navigate COVID. We navigate all these things for God's glory. Because if we don't do that, we'll lack the fear of God. We'll lack patience. We'll lack humility. We'll lack love. Because then it's for us. Because then I'm talking at you. But if I'm talking with you, then we can find common ground. And that common ground at the end of the day should be, if we're believers, right? Man, God is good. That, that's the common ground. And then for, that's honestly, you could use the same common ground for the non-believer, for the non-believer to say, man, God is good. And I said, you're right. Let's talk about it. Here's why he's good, right? But see how all that, justice is a means to the end. Just like love is a means to the end. Sacrifice means to the end. Right. And so, and I think that's what a lot of, a lot of people are missing. It's not what I'm trying to say. I think that's what a lot of us forget. Me too. What's our end? What's our end goal? Right. Um, so yeah, like I could come on this podcast and just tell you about me. I'm not interesting. I'm going to die one day. Me, Brandon and Astrid ain't going to be here one day. Right. So we can't be the end. My attention, my, my glory, my name being known physically, literally cannot be the end. So there has to be something beyond that, right? So yeah, that was a long explanation of the glory of God. <laughs> I genuinely do not mind the long answers. I am so appreciative of it. Um, yeah, so I guess just in closing, um, kind of outside of the conversation, just in general, um, what is something that just keeps you uplifted in the midst of, you know, it's 2020, just in the midst of life? Um, yeah, what keeps keeps you uplifted? Huh. Um, you know, I'm a crier when I worship for sure. I'm emotional. Um, but you know, as I've gone in my faith, like I said earlier, um, you know, when I said that, you know, the early part of your faith as well, Jesus is so good for me. So a lot of things I used to cry about and really get passionate about was Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. And I still do. But what I more often find myself crying to when I sing and worship, whether that be at home church downstairs with my family or even just by myself in my room is knowing this isn't our home. That's what I find hope in. There's, I'm not quoting it correctly, but you're beautiful um, slash Messiah by Phil Wickham is one of my favorite worship songs. And the bridge, it says, when we arrive at, at your heavenly door or something like that, or a heavenly shore or eternity shore or something like that, Death will, death was just a memory and fears are no more. We'll enter in as the wedding bells ring. Your bride will come together and we'll sing. You're beautiful. I cry at those lyrics because what else is there to hope in, in, in this world? And that's honestly in meditation and prayer. That's all 2020 shown me. There is nothing to hope in here. Cause everyone's like, Oh, look what 2020 did again. Well, Yeah. 
it's always been doing that. 2019, 2018, 1946. Like every, every year did that. You just didn't see it. Why? Because you weren't looking. Now we're looking, right? So now I think 2020, the mistake we've all made is focusing too much on that. And we've had to realign ourselves to say, okay, that exists, but so does Jesus. And the Christians are, I think a lot of us are struggling to merge those two. Like I said, it's a lot of merging. Um, okay, sin, the, wor- the world is trash. Okay, Jesus is good. Okay, how do I meet those two in the middle? So it keeps me uplifted is that there's still a middle to be found because Jesus is good and eternity exists and heaven exists. Um, and that has never become more real to me than in 2020, ever. Because this place sucks. <laughs> it's garbage. But thank God, God isn't. Mm, yeah. So good. So good. I just thank you so much. This is this has been good. Um, yeah. And I'm just like, keep doing this. Don't stop. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. It's funny because I often, I told you this before too, I often consider not doing more vlogs, not making more music very often. Because I'm like, who's listening? honestly like who is watching who's listening so it's it's wild to know that i'm in california you're in dc and like somehow through some weird comment section you found my page like that's so wild to me so thank you because that's really encouraging to me and it's humbling to me honestly you can find brandon's vlogs and videos and even his photography we didn't talk about that but he is a pretty talented photographer on instagram at Brandon Wright, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-W-R-I-T-E, or on YouTube at Brandon Wright. I will also link both of these to the show notes below. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Here to Edify. New episodes drop every Wednesday and can be found wherever you listen, now also on YouTube. Thank you again and hope to catch you listening next time.